Welcome to the third episode of the Media Jungle video podcast. I'm your host, Alex Regeer, coming to you every week to break down and demystify the intersection of media and technology. We have Mr. Digital Media himself, Brian Morris. He's in the building, founder of the Rebooting Newsletter. And of course, we're also joined by the smartest newsman on Instagram, Moshe Wanunu, president of Mo Digital. It's been a wild week. We're going to be talking about crypto going mainstream, the trends around getting famous on the different social media platforms, and the viability of crypto for media companies, and this whole Constitution Dow face flop craziness. First up, crypto goes corporate. Crypto.com paid $700 million to call the Staples Center the Crypto.com Arena, which kind of sounds like the Macarena. Come to the show with the Crypto.com Arena. Crypto.com Arena is such a mouthful that people in LA are already calling it the Crypt. Or maybe it's like the Crypt Dance. And there's nothing more mainstream than the NBA, which makes it hard to say you're like a decentralized utopia where shrooms grow on shit coins and we have no connection to the global financial system. And I can't wait to see the sports announcers talk about crypto. Like, we're here at the crypto.com arena. Have you heard of this crypto stuff, Jeff? Yeah, I haven't, Dave, but my kids are into it and... All I know is that it's the devil as LeBron scores a three-point shot. He's on fire. So now one of the most historic arenas is sponsored by a five-year-old company that sells Dogecoin. And Americans are not happy. You know how we love Staples. And Kodak. And Enron. What could go wrong? Also in crypto this week, the biggest crypto investment fund was just launched by the guys that brought you Instagram, YouTube, WhatsApp, Apple. Former partners of Sequoia Capital raised $2.4 billion. And Andreessen Horowitz, which brought us Facebook, raised $2.2 billion. Basically, these guys funded the companies that run the internet, and now they want to be the power brokers for the crypto sphere. It always starts with a hippie utopian revolution. But once the smart money moves in and starts making the rules, is it really decentralized? Do you think the real crypto diehards are gonna run the next big thing and change the world? Or do you think it's just gonna be the same names that run the internet? Let us know what you think in the comments. Brian, has crypto gone mainstream? What do you think? I think this is an interesting moment in which it has to go mainstream. I think every revolution tends to be disappointing at the end, right? The French Revolution didn't turn out so hot really in the long run. I think it's a necessary step. So I think it's easy to make fun of a lot of aspects of crypto. But look, there's a lot of smart people who are betting on this being the next um, big shift in technology. And a lot of it makes sense. A lot of it is trying to in a very abstract level, trying to right some of the wrongs of Internet 1.0 and Internet 2.0. And ultimately, I expect it to be disappointing, but the current reality is disappointing too. So why don't we just have yeah. to do disappointing? So Web.0 was like, we have information, we have email, we have the de democratization. Read, write. It, it was read-write. You, okay. you can write on the internet and you can read on the internet, but that was about the, the aspect of it. It's just like, you're going to be able to, consume information, and you're going to be able to put information on the internet. And that was great. 
And then what 2.0 is about connecting everyone together. We all got connected okay. and it was really exciting for a few minutes. And then the crazy racist uncle also got connected with everyone. And we saw how that went. And it, and it was played out with these big players owning sort of the internet, right? I, I think a lot of this stuff, I'm, I'm sympathetic to um, the idealism of, of crypto. I'm not like sympathetic to, you know, some of the cultural aspects of the crypto crowd, but I think you need to get past that. Yeah, Mosh, what do you think? I'm still hung up. I'm trying to think through the French Revolution metaphor and wondering what the guillotine people lost equivalent. Their, people lost their heads. Look, it was going to be all great. One one vote, you know, and stuff. And, and eventually we got rid of the king, right? They just the French had uh, some struggles with Napoleon for a few years related to that. But but in all seriousness, on the crypto thing, I was looking at some of the numbers, which I think is really interesting. Somebody sent me a chart a couple of days ago that shows Bitcoin adoption versus internet adoption. And you're able to watch right now, the X, Y axis, like they're basically going along the same wavelength. Bitcoin adoption is increasing annually at 113%. Internet adoption, by the way, in the early days was 63% annually. So if you take that through this decade, we'll have a billion people involved in crypto in the next three years and potentially 4 billion by the end of the decade, which is pretty remarkable. It is interesting, by the way, Alex, you jumped off of the arena naming it's weird that they kept the .com. Yeah. I was just calling it crypto. Right now, the .com feels very like pets.com at nine. But at the same time, as a Chicagoan growing up at going to Wrigley Field, the idea of a corporate name on a stadium is as old as an American tradition going back more than a century. I will say this as far as mainstream crypto adoption. These are the two headlines that struck me this week. I have two names for you, Martha Stewart and Ted Cruz. Not necessarily cutting edge did folks. Both this week made crypto-related headlines. Martha Stewart is selling back issues of Martha Stewart Living via NFT, including her Thanksgiving dinner from 1994 photos from it. So you have the option of bidding on that this week, folks. And then separately, Ted Cruz, crypto's best friend, it turns out, one of their best friends at Capitol Hill, is looking for Capitol Hill to accept cryptocurrency as payment across Capitol Hill. So you're hoping that will help ensure that folks in Congress and the Senate, uh, some of whom are in their 70s and 80s, We'll have a better sense of what this is if they literally can buy their lunch with crypto. What about the kind of existential thing where the crypto people say they want a decentralized utopia, all this stuff, and then the same people who ruled the internet, Brian, are the ones who are want to create the companies that will rule this next iteration? This is a, a good example of how, again, a lot of these revolutions, like the, in, within crypto, you got the maximalists and those are the, the utopians and people who are building communes and they're about to give up their citizenship in the real world and join the metaverse and all this sort of thing like this. And I, I think that's good in that it like opens the Overton window of like, really? And then it's, maybe this is possible. But ultimately, the practical applications of crypto, and that's the biggest knock on it, are not quite there yet. If you notice when you talk with a lot of the crypto people, they use words like could and, and, and should like a lot, not is. And that ultimately is where I think a lot of the, the more practical capital coming in here is to have real life examples. Because as reporters, you always ask, okay, well, give me an example. Ask that of the crypto crowd. Give me an example. And you're pretty soon you're into the metaverse and theory and theoretical examples. And you're starting to see, you know, some evidence of that in terms of some sporting events and concert venues are starting to accept crypto payment. You do see El Salvador, the country, go mm -hmm. to crypto, go to Bitcoin. And so that, I think that is a really good point that there's still, they've built all this stuff and now it's, what are we going to use it for? 
And then to really see mainstream adoption, a lot of our family members, et cetera, to really get involved in it, they want to be able to see practically, can I go to Target or can I buy this online with, with said crypto? We should spend a little bit of time on this guy from El Salvador. The guy with the, the backward baseball hat, who's building- Who's running the country? Yeah, he's a little authoritarian and like he's building like a, a new Bitcoin city, like on the base of the volcano. Yeah, I have a wow. who's doing yeah. a documentary about him. He he's been going to Salvador. Oh yeah, so that should be coming out. Yeah, but I oh. do think there is something interesting in that crypto is like a leapfrog technology. You're going to see adoption that is going to be completely unlike the adoption of the internet um, because that was a rich country thing. Whereas now you see crypto is challenging a lot of institutions, and the strongest institutions have the most regulatory capture. It's no mistake that places like the United States are um, behind when it comes to having a regulatory framework or accepting of crypto because there is a ton of people with money and with um, power that are put at risk by decentralization. So you could actually have a situation where countries like El Salvador and other countries that do not have these built-in institutions with such power are actually able to leapfrog ahead of countries like the United States that by its nature, we're just way more centralized. Mm -hmm. Into, and the metaverse, and so web 3.0 is the way that people talk about the future, right? Where it's like crypto, metaverse, all of that VR, is all of that part of when people reference web 3.0? There's so many different aspects to it. And I think that's the, the real challenge is like, when you talk about going mainstream, is like getting people to understand that crypto is a thing is one thing. Having actual examples is yet another proof point and really honing in on like, how is this going to affect people's lives? And most people see the stuff now as like NFTs and the constitution DAO, and it feels like gimmicks. And I understand the, the skepticism because yeah. this stuff does feel like gimmicks. Martha's still selling an NFT of the Thanksgiving issue. It's a gimmick. Moving on, though, there was some interesting analysis by Axios about the 50 most followed accounts on each social media platform. So basically, it showed Instagram, we'll put it up, that Instagram is where celebrities were the biggest, Cristiano Ronaldo, Ariana Grande, and TikTok is the place they became their own stars. TikTok dancers, lip syncers were the biggest. And on YouTube, it was a bit more mixed and more international, US, India, South Korea, Russia, with music and entertainment as focuses. Facebook had um, more corporations like Samsung was up there and celebrities similar to Instagram. So Mosh, you had posted this on your Instagram. What were your kind of thoughts about? I just found it really interesting because what it really reinforced, number one, is that TikTok is this place where you can come out of nowhere, right? Uh, you have no following. The five most followed accounts on TikTok were created, like basically they created their own celebrities. Charlie uh, D'Amelio, Addison Ray, folks like that. Zach King was getting a following with his magic tricks on YouTube, but really blew up on TikTok. Yeah. So it's interesting to see. Yeah. TikTok wins the award for the people that I had no idea who they were. You had no idea who they were. <laughs> and they built a huge following. Some of that off the music, but some of that just a place that really we were talking about democratized social media. Really, you have a chance to be number one on TikTok and last month, no one's ever heard of you. And I think mm -hmm. that was pretty uh, incredible. Um, 
the the lesson on on Instagram is it really reinforces people you who you already knew were popular, whether it's the folks you mentioned, the soccer stars Ronaldo and Messi, Kylie, two of the Kardashians, uh, Kylie Jenner and Kim Kardashian make the top ten. You got Ariana Grande, Selena Gomez, Bieber, Beyonce, etc. That's like showcasing your lifestyle and some behind the scenes content for those celebrities. Mr. Bean, number four in Facebook, a fictional character with uh, 129 million followers. Facebook is a random mix of both major companies and brands. And so that was interesting. And then YouTube, so international. Number one is an Indian music video page in the world. Another video page is number four, PewDiePie, WWE. So that was interesting. We've heard a lot about YouTube creators, but in terms of the biggest brands, those are still a place where brands uh, can make it. Though, interestingly, companies and organizations are so focused on the social media presence. But what really runs across all of them, minus I think Samsung being a top 10 at Facebook, God knows how they got that, is that it's all individuals, right? It's all individual influencers. And so when you're a big brand, you can focus on building your brand identity on these platforms. But ultimately, you're going to need to leverage these individuals to, uh, to get across your message. Yeah. Yeah, I think that brings up like a big like trend that I do think is part of crypto and actually works in, which is like the shift from institutions to individuals. And you're seeing that across all the platforms. So you think about all these different platforms really started with very different use cases and they've converged into in about being about individuals and the trends that take off on TikTok are tied to, to individuals. And mostly these powerful platforms are built around that. So I think when people are talking about the, the creator economy and getting excited about it, or even like Web3 and any of that stuff, it's about how do you, because we see like people have lost faith in like institutions, whether it's brands, government, and, but they inherently trust individuals more. So I think it, it leaves with publishers and then marketers in an interesting position because they have to play catch up to this, to this trend. Yeah. And we shouldn't leave out Twitter, by the way, a, a place that all of us go to for news and headlines. And that was the one place where if you're not a no traditional celebrity, but you're a, a political uh, leader or thought leader. You have a chance of the most followed person on Twitter, Barack Obama. Yeah. Yeah, that was interesting. He, he, fo he follows me. I don't mean to brag. Does he? Yeah, because back in 2008, the early Twitter crowd, when he got on, he like followed all these people. And so he still follows. Wow. I he follows tons of people. I'm not saying it like it's some special thing. Well, hold on one second. I've oh, wasted a lot of time. All right, so he has a, so he has 130 million followers. Obama follows 588,000 people. All right, about oh, the population okay. of Baltimore. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. But Mosh, let's put this against the population of the United States or the world. Yeah. So you, it, I'm because Barack Obama is president of the world. <laughs> yes, 580,000 out of 6 billion is impressive. I agree. That's my top social media connection. My second one is Omarosa, the one from The Apprentice who then went into the White House. She and I are connected on LinkedIn. Mm. I don't know why. I think she, I, I think she thought she confused me with someone else. Is, is she giving you one of those referrals you got on LinkedIn endorsed for production? I mean, I, I, accept, I accepted the connection because I don't know. I don't know how things are going like these. Yeah. I, I, uh, Alex, what do you make? What do you make when you look at the list and how each of the social media platforms has evolved? It was interesting how YouTube was like, it, it's also multi-language. Is TikTok somehow, it did, I guess you don't even need language, right? It's half text. It's more 
music, music uh, and different things. There is a different variation of it in China. Obviously, it's you know developed by ByteDance or owned by ByteDance. I mean, obviously, we went through that whole issue during the latter year of the Trump administration there. But it, it is very international, right? But music, you could say, is an international language, and you don't necessarily need in a lot of those videos. And this speaks to I think some of the stuff in kind of Instagram Reels as well. You don't necessarily need to know the language or know anything about the creator or where they are to enjoy or be delighted in the in tech parlance by the images and video. Yeah, and they also Facebook. It seemed I guess it made me think like a lot of big companies spent a lot of money to get likes on Facebook in the beginning. And they're still big. So you had Samsung, you had CGTN, the Chinese news organization, like up there. Moving on, the topic still on the crypto chain or the crypto blockchain. It's a crypto constitution scam. Last week, 17,000 crypto nerds raised $47 million in just a few days for a bid on an early copy of the constitution. It was revenge of the nerds. They organized using a DAO. DAOs are basically like fraternities where you pay dues to get into the cool crypto club. You can be on our private group chat. We can buy the constitution and make it non-fungible. You college guys are all alike. Every member has a vote. So it's like equity in startups. But in the end, constitution DAO lost the bid and people couldn't get their money back, according to Vice News. Vice said they actually put $200 themselves into the bid and that half of the money was spent on fees just to buy the currency. And get this, to get the refund, they had to pay the same fees again. So they ended up with almost nothing. But the guy who won the auction was Chicago hedge fund billionaire Ken Griffith, the guy who was accused of colluding with Robin Hood and pressuring them to stop trading of GameStop. I want to be perfectly clear. We had no role in Robin Hood's decision to limit trading in GameStop or any of the other meme stocks. But now he has the constitution. Maybe next time, nerds. Where are they? I think they're talking about us. No way. So it appeared like this huge populist revolution to beat out the billionaires in the Sotheby's art auction turned into clusterfuck ever. So, Brian, I, I, I wanted to talk to you about, I know you've been looking I'm into this. Clusterfuck. Clusterfucks, revolutions, and you've been uh, looking into the Dow. What's your reaction to this Dow bid? This happened, I know, right now, so you haven't really thought about it, but... I've thought about it. I thought about it while you were talking. No, like, do you know what I actually got reminded of? Like back in 2000, I remember I was like at Columbia and we had a Super Bowl party for all the students. And there was one like new media professor, Sri Srinivasan. He had a, a show like mm -hmm. public access or something like called Sri's Web Tips, where he told like grandmoms how to use the internet. And he insisted because we, it was a party. We had beer and we were going to get pizza at halftime. He insisted on ordering um, the pizza through the Domino's like website. And at the time, ordering a pizza on a website was a very unusual thing to do because you just picked up the phone and you called and you're like, I want a pizza. Mm -hmm. But Shuri insisted that we had to use it. Guess what? The pizza didn't freaking show up, okay? And we were all sitting there. At this point, we had had quite a bit of beer saying, where the hell's the pizza? Why didn't you just pick up the goddamn phone? I was reminded of that with this like constitution down because <laughs> early on, these things are always a mess. And just like ordering a pizza now, we don't even think twice of like ordering a pizza through our apps. Ordering a pizza like online was a very strange thing in 2000. 
And so this mm-hmm. is a very strange thing too. And I mean, obviously much like our pizza from Domino's, it like didn't show up. The constitution didn't show up because nobody goes into an auction and says, this is my maximum bid because everyone else then knows what your maximum bid is. So it was stupid to begin with, but that, I don't think that means that like dowels themselves will not iron out all of these issues. Yeah. Yeah. No, coming in and letting people know what you're going to, what your maximum bid is a rookie move for an auction. That's for sure. But it was uh, pretty impressive that they raised all this money and galvanized with 17,000 people so quickly. So I was actually very excited about this concept that this could be something that that's could be pretty amazing in, in like creating a movement very quickly until I realized all these fees and all this stuff that okay. happened where nobody was ready for this. Nobody, they say it's smart contracts. Oh, everyone knows you don't even need a lawyer, but it sounds like the same thing. Like, it's like people say, you don't even need a lawyer because you just click the terms of service. You you don't even need a lawyer. You have a DocuSign. That just means you can sign the contract. But these guys apparently didn't even have the one vote policy. They didn't have any of the things that they say DAOs are. They just put it up and got and made a cool video that got people excited. But also, I think the funniest thing is like you left out one, one, I think you left out one thing is that in order to then get their money back, they're going to pay more gas fees. So they're going to have to, they're going to have to extract their money back from this DAO and then get whacked yet again. Yeah. Some people, they say, even had to end up, were ended up in debt because the gas fees were higher when they were trying to get out. I I think there's a lot of room here for innovation and some people to improve processes. And even there's people who bought Bitcoin like 10 years ago when it was like $3, $5, and they can't access their wallets because they bought on now defunct websites. But then even crypto, which is a relatively new phenomenon, you've started to develop, whether it's Coinbase or Binance or Gemini, et cetera. Some establishment, some infrastructure has been built around that. And I think you're going to see the same thing in this DAO structure. It, it is interesting. And I do view it as a positive thing because the internet until now, you go into a chat room and people say terrible things to each other. And that's Web 1.0. And here it's like an internet community, but with a bank account. And so you can actually have an impact, right? If you look at some of these kind of more ambitious, idealistic DAOs, it's either they want to fund projects by like non-binary artists. And there's another one that focuses on women crypto ponders. Another one that kind of views themselves more as a venture capital firm and invests in like new tech. And so I do think it's an interesting way for people globally to connect in a, and put their newfound wealth, if they've done well in the crypto market, to connect it all together uh, to good use. And democratize certain things. I was talking to somebody recently who was looking at producing new TV shows and movies. And that, even though we do talk about the streaming revolution and Disney Plus and Netflix, et cetera, is still controlled by a handful of companies. If you want your show produced, yeah, you don't have to go to the three networks anymore. And you might have a couple dozen you can go to, but it's still Apple Plus, Netflix, Hulu, et cetera. And they want to create a situation where if you have a great idea, you don't have to go to one of those big guys to produce it. You can come to a DAO. And they're like, we'll fund it for just put it out on the internet for the world. So there is an opportunity both on the creative side and for people who are producing things and creating things and also people who are funding things. Yeah, I was getting very excited about the DAO concept as I was digging into it about the on the creator side where you could get together and create a, a really strong community, which a lot of Brian talks about all the time being such an important part of building any media company. And also benefit as you become more 
influential or provide more and more value, you benefit from the rise of the value of the project. And you can also maintain, like in this creator economy, you can remain independent, but also benefit from the creation of the collective value. It seems like it could be something that would be revolutionary. Um, but I guess it's still, you still have to think about how you would structure it. So you still need a lawyer. You still need your financial advisors to figure out how you would structure all that, I guess. Yeah. And there's still, there's tax implications and all sorts of different things that people can get whacked with. But I think overall, if you look at like what the great resignation and stuff like this, like we've been, there's been this false choice of think about all of us, like how our sort of occupations are different now versus they were like a couple of years ago. It was always like you had to be part of a company and, or you were just solo and there should be more flexible structures. There's more flexible structures in all sorts of aspects of life. So why shouldn't there be, and it's not there yet, but why shouldn't you be able to like join like a DAO for a certain one thing and another DAO for another thing and have a lot more freedom and flexibility in your life? It's, yeah, it's this Robin style ability in, in all aspects of life. I was hearing about a startup out of Miami, actually, Alex, that is allowing people with as little as 500 bucks to invest in real estate mm -hmm. and uh, democratizing that. Like it used to be, and still is for the most part, that you need six figures or more to invest in any sort of real estate thing. And yeah. now it's like for as little as 500 bucks, you can be a part of this retail space we're building or this residential space we're building. And so I think if DAOs are just a part of it's a recognition of the fact that it's, it's all about bringing opportunity to, to everybody, no yeah. matter, uh, you know, how fat their wallet is. But the, the, with the kind of financial journalist hat on looking at that, it's just like, you have REITs, right? You have different ways to benefit from rising real estate prices, but it's like, there is a element of, there's a reason why you have regulation around qualified investors, non-qualified investors, right? Because people get swindled. And in the end, this, uh, yeah. constitution now got mangled. Come on. Regulations protect incumbents. That's what they're about. Like, you give me a break. You think Jamie Dimon really cares? You really think Jamie Dimon? No, I'm, I'm not saying Jamie Dimon cares. Somebody in North Beach, there's 500 bucks in this. Regulations always. Why do you think Facebook's out there begging for regulations? Because it's going to cement them. They're like an incumbent. It just adds. And you look yeah. at like the financial industry. So many people are shut out of financial products. This is basically what we're talking about, right? With the big money moving into crypto, with this evolution of crypto, so will come regulation or so will come some type of ad adoption that would cement in that big money moving in. So it's going to happen in crypto. Maybe it's better to have more people thinking about it in a completely new slate and thinking about the future of the internet in a completely new slate than trying to think about it within the constructs of the current financial regulation, which is behind its time anyway. And it'll be interesting to see how we've all seen the the clips of like senators asking questions of Mark Zuckerberg, like I cannot wait until they're having like crypto hearings. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, that just goes to show you how far behind Washington is. They've been throwing in some random elements into the infrastructure bill related to crypto that like had nothing to do with infrastructure, but like throwing it in there, taking it out, none of them know what the hell it means. Ted Cruz is like, use, you should be able to use Bitcoin to buy things on the candy machine in the basement of the Capitol. That's how they're applying. And so I think you're probably what, 
five years from now, we'll be hearing the first hearing idea on DAOs yeah. on Capitol Hill. Yeah, I, I think that's going to be interesting for crypto is if it can avoid becoming political. Yes, anything, anytime you're going to have stuff about regulations, it's going to be somewhat political. But like when Ted Cruz starts aligning with you, you might be like, whoa, I don't know about this because we're very like obviously divided society and crypto itself has a lot of libertarian elements to it. And if it becomes red versus blue issue, I don't think that's very good for crypto. It's very interesting because like blue has become establishment. Red has become like a regular folks. Crypto seems like this democratized thing. So then you would take like lean right until something happens in crypto that Republicans go after it. Like they went after like social media companies where they feel this sort of inherent bias or whatever. But I, I don't know that it can avoid Brian. And it'll be very interesting to watch borders go up around or those lines go up around crypto because everything else in society is now politicized. There's nothing that's immune. And I think yeah. it's a real risk because the the biggest loud mouths in crypto to date are definitely like authoritarian curious. And they're like, <laughs> they've read too much Ayn Rand, like when they were teenagers and never grew up. And I think that is a real problem beyond the complexity of mainstream adoption of crypto is like a lot of its biggest cheerleaders are assholes. And I don't think that's generally good for getting like regular people like excited about it. And to go full circle here, its first real adoption in a country writ large is done effectively by an authoritarian style leader in El Salvador, hmm. who's man, you know, who's opposed it on his country. Wow. Yeah, lots to talk about for the Thanksgiving dinner table. Maybe we uh, should create a DAO to just decide which topics we can talk about. One vote, one vote, one person. Thanks for watching till the end. Like and subscribe. And also leave a comment with any ideas you have for the next episode. Oh, we're doing this all for you. Have a great weekend. See you next week. I'm out. <laughs>